Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio as we study together biblical prophecy, and we're in the middle of a study in St. Paul's Letters to the Thessalonians. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. I'd like to start with a question of the day, and it's this. What did the Thessalonians understand about Jesus that we don't? Interesting. Let's start with a prayer. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy word. Amen. Last week, we began with our study of the word gospel that's mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 5, where St. Paul writes, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It really did something in the hearts and minds of of those St. Paul preached to. And I'm afraid sometimes today, people are hearing the gospel only in word. It's not having that transformative effect that the Thessalonians saw. And we saw last week that that word gospel, which simply means good news, but you have to ask good news about what? It's good news about the kingship of Christ the lordship of Christ, Jesus as ruler over the nations. And this is such an important key for understanding biblical prophecy, I promise you. The big question in 1 Thessalonians is in chapter 4, and it's the, quote, rapture verse, the rapture question. But it is so complicated to try to answer that apart from having a clear, firm understanding of what the gospel means and what it entails. Last week, we ended with Isaiah 52 and verse 7. I tried to show you what that word gospel meant to Jews who were living throughout the Roman Empire, and we used the specific reference in Romans 10:15. It says, as it is written, and then it mentioned the gospel, how blessed are the feet who bring the good news or the gospel. And in Isaiah 52 and verse 7, it says, that announcement of the gospel is, your God reigns. In other words, the Messiah is king. The God Yahweh of the Old Testament is king. And you know, knowing this might change your reading quite a bit of several parts of the Bible. I just pulled one out this morning, Psalm 47. Many of you who have read through Psalms, did you really catch the kingship of Christ? Listen to Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Okay, well, why? For the Lord, the Most High, is a terrible, a great king over all the earth. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord, which means king, with the sound of a trumpet. Keep trumpet in mind as we hit 1 Thessalonians 4 in a week or two. 
Sing praises to God. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Why do we worship God? He's a great King. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. You know, it's perfectly possible as an American to read through the Bible several times and just kind of like blip. What? It doesn't impact us, the idea of Christ's kingship. Now, the Thessalonians had an advantage over you and me, and here's the reason why. Every good teacher knows that in order to teach a new concept, you first start with something that's well-known amongst your students and then use that known concept to teach the new unknown concept. So in other words, if we were going to teach about kingship, we would teach something we know about kingship in our common cultural, political, everyday experience and then use that to try to understand Christ's kingship. Kingship is not a word understood by Americans, I'm sorry, but the Thessalonians knew all about it. They knew all about the concept of a universal empire ruled by a king of kings, okay? Now, this is actually quite simple, but on the other hand, once you get it, it's just like I'm going to take the lens of a camera here in just a few seconds and put it into focus, Thessalonica was the capital city of the northern region of Greece, and that region, that northern region of Greece, was called Macedonia. Now, put on your thinking cap from ancient world history. I don't even know if they even teach ancient world history anymore in schools, but I know they used to when I was a kid. Macedonia was the home of Alexander the Great. From Macedonia, of which Thessalonica was the capital, went Alexander the Great, the conqueror, the ruler, and the emperor of the known world. He was the king of the world's third empire that was then followed by the Roman Empire. And after the empire, the universal kingship of Alexander the Great, his kingdom was kind of split up and then got into a major conflicts with the Roman Empire, which then was arising. And Macedonia went head-to-head in multiple battles and conflicts with Rome until they finally submitted to the yoke of Caesar. But when they did, they went all in. They went headlong into supporting Caesar. You could find ancient coins from Thessalonica announcing that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is divine. The king, Caesar, is God. And for this support that Caesar is Lord, Thessalonica won all these kind of economic and political advantages. We would say today, well, you know, you got the federal contracts because you voted for a certain candidate or something like that. Well, it was very enriching to this city, Thessalonica, for supporting Caesar as Lord. And this very unique city had the living experience in their past, but part definitely part of their culture, of Alexander the Great and now Caesar. 
So when Paul came to Thessalonica and preached the gospel, which meant that Jesus is Lord, they understood implicitly what was going on. They understood that something very radical was being proclaimed because, you know, today the gospel is presented as something nice that goes on in the four walls of the church. It's among nice people, and then we go out and do nice things, but it really doesn't have any kind of uh, implications for the overall culture. It certainly wouldn't have any implications for our system of government. Jesus is Lord, not sometime in the future. Paul was proclaiming because Jesus rose from the dead, he was now Lord of the world. And he's much greater than Caesar because, see, Caesar had lots of power. He was a world emperor, and Caesar could really hit you. He could kill you. And in fact, he used crucifixion against those who would rebel against the empire. It was, a, it was a radical, horrible death. And the very sign that the Romans used in crucifying Jesus is what? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. <laughs> of course, he thought that was it. But Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus promises to resurrect those who believe in him from the dead. In other words, Caesar could kill, could kill the body. Jesus, the Lord, could raise the dead. And so we read about, in Acts chapter 17, about St. Paul's visit to Thessalonica. And basically, the reason Paul was writing these two letters to the Thessalonians, he got run out of town. He had a flea for his life. Why in the world? You know, we don't see preachers of any stripe, Christian preachers, running out of town today. Why not? I think we've lost some of what the gospel implication is really saying. Listen to the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 6 and 7. These men, Paul, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also turning the world upside down. They are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Now, this wasn't a fluke. It wasn't like Paul just came to Thessalonica and started saying, Jesus is Lord, proclaiming the gospel, which meant in the first century amongst the Gentiles, I already showed you what it meant in the Jewish understanding from Isaiah 52. For the Gentiles, the gospel simply meant the royal proclamation of a great ruler or victorious general, but especially the supreme gospel in the secular sense was Caesar is Lord. Paul comes and says, Jesus is Lord. Now, Paul just didn't do this because the Thessalonians were very astute in universal kingship because of Alexander the Great and because of their support of Caesar as divine. No, this is what he preached throughout the Roman Empire. This is the gospel that changed the world, and it has the power within it, the simple announcement to change human lives. You know, you go to the very end of the book of Acts, you find Paul in chains. And where is he in chains? By the providence of God, he's chained up in Caesar's household. 
He's in the royal household of the world's emperor. And what was he doing? He says he welcomed all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ means King Jesus Christ. Here he was in Caesar's household proclaiming the kingship of Jesus Christ for two years. And (laughs) we have our freedom and we're so intimidated because we couldn't mention the kingship of Christ outside the four walls of the church because, believe me, there would be sparks to fly. And this is where the world is headed. The world is headed for another man who claims to be this universal ruler. This is where we're going to end up. I don't know how long it will take. Could be years, it could be centuries, but this is where the world is going. And it's going to be a conflict between Jesus's Lord and some man. But Philippians chapter 2 tells us that God has exalted Jesus with the resurrection, given him a name above every name, and at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that Jesus Christ is Lord doesn't mean that you're a Christian and you treasure him up in your heart more than anything else. That's good and fine, but that's not what the New Testament is talking about. The Bible is talking about that Jesus is king of the earth and Caesar isn't. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode five of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. To learn more about biblical prophecy and to order copies of Luke 21 broadcasts, visit us online at luke21.com.